As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into Tom Curran's Patriots Talk podcast. We have a great one for you today. It's Thomas Dimitrov, former Falcons GM, who, of course, came up with the New England Patriots. He knows the NFL draft. He knows the ways and means of moving around a draft board, and he knows how the Patriots think pretty much as well as anyone. So we're going to get into the quarterback class, what it takes to go and break a mold for a player, the trade scenarios, and of course, how players are graded and ranked, all with a Patriots focus, coming up right now on Tom Curran's Patriots Talk Podcast. Tom Curran's Patriots Talk Podcast. Here's our guy, Thomas Dimitrov former GM of the Atlanta Falcons, of course, with the Patriots for a long time, made his bones here and went on to great success. And thank you so much for coming in. I'm sorry I had to make you turn off those monitors behind you, buddy. Hey, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, no, I've, I've been delving into all of this. I have all kinds of, you know, productions going on in the back here. So I know it was disrupting you guys. So I'm glad we're, we're off. We're ready to go. Here we go. Flying out of the box with a story I did earlier this week that actually went back to 2004. And I had a long conversation back then with Bill Belichick about stacking the board, the horizontal board and the vertical board. And we discussed this earlier this week. This is something that is not really in the parlance of most draft observers. Talk to me how about how important this is and how much of it's going on right now. Well, look, it's it's really important. And one thing I think you understand, and your good friend and our good friend Scott Pioli and Bill Belichick worked magically on putting that, that grade scale together years and years ago. And a lot of us, interestingly enough for your listeners, a lot of us who were a part of the, the Patriot paradigm and moved on have taken that grading scale and we've, we've adjusted it and, and, and uh, you know, for each organization. I mean, it might be in seven, eight to 10 organizations right now. And it's interesting in some of those situations, it is even makes it easier when you're trying to hire personnel directors, if they have that in their background, it's an easy move from one organization to another. And a lot of it was based on, you know, the vertical on the horizontal side. So what, what Scott and Bill did many years ago when they were putting that together was they, they created this idea that of course you vertically stack by position, Mm -hmm. but the grading scale also uh, relates to, other positions on, you know, on the draft board. So if you take the offensive draft board, for instance, you know, you have the quarterback position, running back position, tight end position, and you have grades that uh, across the horizontal spectrum that, that relate to each other. And, and basically there are certain grades at a certain position of more importance that would be higher mm-hmm. than another, than another football player who might be equally as, as good, but the importance of that position horizontally may be a little bit lower. So like a 6.3 quarterback as compared to a 6.8 center or running back, you're sitting there and you're saying, well, this guy's going to have the ball on every play. 
center will too, actually. But uh, yeah, but you right. get, so you're going to have to to call to uh, qualify those. Is that unique among different NFL teams? You said about eight to ten. I, I think it is. I mean, prior to, to you know going to New England, when I was with the other other groups, um, you know, they had their nuances and their grading scales and such. So, some were really deeply steeped in national and blesto grading scales. The teams that are usually involved with those teams have similar grading scales. But as you know, because Bill and Scott and, and because the Patriots and the approach, you know, they, they weren't a part of any combine. Mm -hmm. Theirs became a little bit more unique back, you know, years and years ago. And then those of us who moved on, whether it was, you know, myself and, and any of the coaches that moved on or John Robinson who moved on is now at Tennessee or Bob Quinn when he was there at, at Detroit or Matt Russell, who was with us, who, you know, took the grading scale to Denver. And then, you know, Adam Peters took it out to San Francisco, as I understand. So I love it. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's the same with what B-Flow is doing down in Miami. You know, I just think it's a really good, good idea that you are being a lot more intricate, I think, with your grading scale. And, and it's, it's fascinating because it, it keeps things in check. And it does, again, it, 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 it uh, allows you horizontally to uh, make sure that you are always understanding, you know, what is of more importance and where the priorities are within our, within our grading scale, within our organization. So why then in the Patriots grading scale, whether it's recently or back when you were there, do you have somewhat anomalous players who move into positions, whether it's Logan Mankins in 05, who great player, Hall of Fame, borderline Hall of Fame player, who most folks said second or third coming out of Fresno, or um, Daniel Graham, or a couple of years later, Ben Watson. Vince Wilfork, I think, would be acknowledged. Everybody was seeing that what Vince was. Um, and then you have the McCordys, who people said, okay, that's maybe the 32nd pick, or Mayo, he might be a late first round pick, if at all. And then the Patriots take players who are anomalies relative to the rest of the board. Why does that happen? You know, I've, I'm convinced over the years and then as I've moved on and, and, you know, been with different people, different coaches, I just really believe, and I've always said this with a, a great deal of admiration, that, that Bill does such a great job of understanding the one, two, three, and four traits that a player has that mm -hmm. are ideal for him, his system, and his setup. And, and understand that even though that player may not have the three or four other attributes that another player that might be graded higher with another team, he will, he will, he will covet those attributes that this one player has and knows how so well how to put them into place within the, within the team that he doesn't really necessarily care that they're devoid of those three other attributes that the top guys might have. I've always, I've, I've just, Again, I've always said to the coaches I've worked with, whether it was Mike Smith as a head coach early in my career at, at Atlanta or Dan Quinn, like that's a big thing that, that Bill did that I think is a really good thing to get your head around. Know your system in, inside and out and know that you're not going to have the perfect player, but know that you may move someone up your board because they fit your scheme with these requisite traits that are so important. So you look at a McCourty or a Mayo and you're like, okay, I would like my entire organization to emulate the way they do their work. So you end up with one guy at 10 and the other guy at 24 when people are saying it's debatable or, or Logan Mankins at 32 who yeah. would, you know, just chew glass and crawl through it to win football games. 
Well, there, and there are so many attributes that, you know, we're talking about the skills on the field, but you're talking about makeup, you're talking about intelligence, you're talking about team fit. I just had a long conversation about that. That is wildly important when you're putting together a team. And I think often the, the media and the fan base don't necessarily get that. And it's not, you know, on both sides, someone's drafted really high and someone doesn't understand it or people don't understand it, or someone's not drafted by an organization. And there's the dirty little secrets of all the character issues and substance issues and whatever else may be discussed that we can't discuss as team builders with you in the media, obviously you can't go there. So mm-hmm. there are a lot of reasons why people don't necessarily make it up or down of a board. And, and again, that's contingent on, you know, the philosophy of that, team uh, building group, the head coach and the GM of a certain organization. Some are accepting of it, certain attributes, and some definitely just bury those people because they don't want to deal with it on their team. How hard is it right now in this 2020 through 2021 period where there's fewer eyes and fewer opportunities to get on campus and talk to, you know, the RA for a kid, I don't know if they were even in the dorms with everybody else, um, but to talk to the trainers and the, the staff and figure out what somebody's like. Is this much harder for the evaluators? You talk about anomalies, like this is an anomalous draft. I know last year had its elements of it, but even more so this year, because there are so many gaps, you know, along with the people that opted out, uh, along with the other people who had some injuries, et cetera, et cetera. I've looked across the draft board and I've been amazed at some of the really talented people out there, players out there that are, are projected to be very high, who have gaps in their, in their, in their background, have gaps in the playtime, because again, opting out, injuries, uh, whatever else it may be, that's complicated. And when you're, again, when you're a GM or you're a head coach and you're trying to put together a team and your world is relying on all the information uh, not only not only on the field, but all the information that your scouts normally have had an opportunity to get because they've traveled around, they've seen them at all-star games, they've seen them at the combine, they've seen them at extra workouts. They're not able to do that. You're, you're actually going into this draft with a lot of questions. And I'm not saying you can't pull it off because I think you can. Everyone's in the same world. But I will tell you, again, as team builders, that's you have to look your owner in the eye and you start saying you're building a team this way and you have to feel really comfortable and you hope that every one of your scouts have done anything that they can or everything that they can to have make, made, you know, made sure that they are, you know, we're crossing our T's and dotting our I's. And yet in the end, you're under the table. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're squeezing your hands praying <laughs> that things are going to work out well. That said, can there really be five, quarterbacks who are worthy of top 10 top 15 consideration I mean that to me is and then there's four pass catchers if you include Kyle Pitts it's nine players that would be again to use the word an anomaly yeah I love when you say anomaly especially with your boss anomaly (laughs) it's great no I look I I look at it yes okay so there are five ostensibly five quarterbacks you and I know when you go back and look at the statistical analysis of it and how many quarterbacks have panned out, so to speak, and how many have either been midline or less and have been traded early or cut early. It is unbelievable. If you go back and you look at the last 10 years of the quarterbacks drafted in the top five, um, it, it is, you, you want to be back on your heels. It's, it's unbelievable. So you know, the, the, the probability of five quarterbacks, you know, you know, flying high in this league 
that, that, you know, were drafted maybe higher than they should have drafted because everyone's looking for a quarterback. It will be really interesting in the future. So I would say that, you know, what are we looking at? Half of those, you know, two and a half of those players not working out uh, or not necessarily panning out will, will be interesting. Someone's going to hit on it. And unfortunately, someone may make a mistake. And it's easier, not easier. It's more comfortable, I would imagine, if you're the general manager of the Green Bay Packers and you take Jordan Love at 26 than you would be if you're, um, who's the new dude, Fitterer, Scott Fitterer? Not Fitterer, yeah. yeah. Well, actually, yeah. he already made the move, but whoever, John Elway, he's not going to get run out of town, but Elway, say, for instance, takes Trey Lance. I mean, it's, it's easier to make that projection if you get a full year. He's 20 years old. He played at FCS. There's a development prospect there, and you're going to give up a top 10 pick conceivably that could be a real good player at another position to help you. I'm preaching well, the choir. <laughs> no, no, that's that's a complicated thing. I mean, that's why everyone's asking me, and I, I try to make it very clear. Of course, I am no longer the general manager of the Atlanta Falcons, but you know, I know that organization inside and out. I have my strong opinions, which I don't necessarily care care to share in depth, only because out of respect to, to uh, where Terry Fontenot is. And I, you know, he's, he's got a lot on his plate along with Arthur Smith, of course. But the reality is when you're at the fourth pick overall and, and you have a guy like Matt Ryan, who I still, by the way, believe can mm -hmm. win a Super Bowl with the right people around him, uh, which I think they do have some very talented players on that offense, but also continue to have the right system and the right play calling around Matt Ryan. And I think he can. What, what a, what a great place to be to consider. I'm not saying I would, but to consider a quarterback who could train under him for the next, you know, two or three years, a la, you know, Aaron Rodgers and, and Brett Favre. And I think, you know, maybe it's not four years there, like like I think Aaron uh, did, but you know, I just think there are benefits. Or even to Mahomes, Mahomes and Smith. Or yes, that's Brady exactly Garoppolo. right. Yeah, I, I believe it. So look. It's going to be an interesting draft. Again, when you're thinking the first, what, 10 picks or may not be a defensive player taken, that's unbelievable. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. And that, to me, adds up to Bill Belichick looking at his horizontal board and saying... Look at all these guys. Look at the Caleb Farleys and the J.C. Horns and the Patrick Sertains and the Micah Parsons who just get, are getting driven down the board to us. Yeah. Um, that's why for all the conversation we have about the Patriots maybe looking at needing quarterback, I, I tend to think Thomas said they'll let the draft come to them. They've done business around that position. 
that I feel is sufficient. Now I'm asking kind of opinion-based. I don't know if you feel comfortable. I know how close you are with yeah. the organization still. And what do you think for them? Well, look, I mean, let me start by saying it's not easy at four, five, and six to trade back. You know, everyone's talking about, I'm going to go there first because I think people start suggesting, well, you just trade back. If you're at the fourth pick overall and you're not sure about a quarterback and you don't want to take a tight end that high, get back and get picks. Everyone thinks it's easy. It, it's a lot easier 20 to 32 to trade back than it is in the top 10, knowing how much it's going to cost. So then flip it over to, to, to Bill and the Patriots thinking about moving up from 15 to, to the early part of the draft to look at one of those quarterbacks. That's a, that's a long way. That's an expensive, that's an expensive, expensive acquisition to be honest with you. So, you know, there are going to be some really talented people there at that 15 area. And, and I think, I think they can thrive right in that area and, and, and settle, settle, or, or maybe, you know, trade within the next, you know, two or three, one way or another, but to jump up into the top five, that's, that is a big move. Kyle Pitts, I think is going to be wearing a gold jacket in Canton in 2038. Wow. Well, you know, and, and, you know, there are some, there have been some great value tight ends. Uh, we had one and we moved on them back in 09 when we traded for, for Tony Gonzalez, Hall of Famer. And, you know, we, I think you can get very good tight ends at a good value. I'm not saying that I would never take someone at the fourth overall pick at that position, which has never happened before, I think, right? Right. But far be it for me to move up 21 spots for a receiver back in the day for Julio Jones when I got my ass kicked on that, as you know. Um, that's that's a little more, you know, this is this is one that's a little more in line with that. And and again, I Bill taught me this, Bill and Scott. I mean, back in the day. You know your organization better than any. We may have opinions and a lot of critique about, you know, your move on Julio way back in 11 or other moves you make. Always remember you and your head coach know your team better than anyone. You know the here and now and you know the projection into years to come. So it ultimately has to come down to the decision making two men who know the best and hopefully they figure it out. How good does a player have to be to break the mold? You broke the mold in the move for Julio Jones. Devontae Smith is 166 pounds. But yeah. can you break the mold? That is reportedly from his recent recheck. Can no, he I, be a mold breaker? No, that he is unbelievably talented. No question about it. And, you know, we could talk about that. I mean, the, the, the mold and being, you know, sub 170 is a complicated spot to be in when you're, we've had receivers that were in the mid seventies who would drop down to the high sixties or, or low seventies. We've even had receivers that have been low 90 and dropped into the mid 80s. And it's 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 tough to deal with that sometimes. So you have to be ready for that. You have to understand with a ton of talent, of course, it it it, it can be a mold breaker. But you know what's going to happen? All of a sudden, for someone who who takes the mold breaker, they're hanging out there a little bit because just one injury happens or one an annihilated sort of annihilating, whatever I'm trying to say, like a big time hit. And someone gets hurt, they're going to say, well, what were you thinking? And it was right in your face. You knew what you're dealing with. Not, not just Smith, of course, because, again, wildly talented. Could be other receivers and other players out there that to break the mold, ultimately, you have to have done your, your due diligence. You have to done, have done a ton of research. You have, to thought, you have to have thought it out very well and, and realize that that player is ideal for your system. And, you know, when we very quickly, when we made that decision on Julio Jones, which wasn't easy, it was massive compensation. We get it. But 
we wanted someone on our team along with Michael Turner, who was our running back at that time. And uh, Tony Gonzalez who was our tight end and Matt Ryan, who was our quarterback. We wanted a receiver that was going to take that offense to another level. And he was going to have defenses on their heels, whether it was four catches or 14 catches in a game. And we feel that we accomplished that. Mm -hmm. You have to have something really, really substantial, I think, to go for a mold breaker. When you look at the Patriots, they have now two tight ends who are certainly top seven tight ends, wherever you want to put them, Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry. They have uh, a top tier offensive line. They have running backs who I think most teams would acknowledge have a beautiful complement of skills. They have a very good secondary. They have a good edge guy. They have Hightower coming back. They don't have to go to something sexy necessarily, do they? They could almost go meat and potatoes. I, no, yeah, there's no question about that. I, I would not put it, put it by them or, or you know, critique them for that because you're exactly right. They have a lot of things, I think, in place. You know, and, I, and, and you, know, you, you all got aggressive up there. I say you all, but, I mean, the Patriots got aggressive up there in free agency, as we know, and there, there have been some adjustments in their approach and everything. And, um, you know, I understand how they can be saying, like, what are we going to do with the quarterback situation? And maybe there's one of those guys that drops into, into Bill's lap and, and maybe they make a move there. But uh, I, I don't know that, of course. But I think they can be fairly basic and clean on what they do and they don't have to get creative and, and like you say, sexy. Take me finally inside the mind of a general manager and his staff um, in the final 24 hours. What are you doing in the final 24 hours before the draft and how much pressure are you feeling? Are there any hair raising tales of the final 24 hours before the draft? You know, we, we, we always say in draft preparation by that time, you know, of course the haze in the barn, that's an overused cliche, but the reality is normally you have things in place. You've evaluated your board is of course set has been set probably for a week plus, you know, you've already met just so you know, a head coach and a general manager usually meet with the owner in that beginning or middle of the week prior to the draft, just so they have some idea of what direction you're going to go, understanding it could change. Mm -hmm. You you map out myriad scenarios about what could happen if this happens, that happens, and things change. You know, that was one of my favorite parts. I love the scenario side of it because I would map out, okay, if we were able to take the uh, the quarterback in the first pick, this is how the rest of the picks would play out. If we were taking a running back in the first pick, this is how the rest of the picks played out. We went on and on doing that for a, a number of different scenarios each draft. And I really appreciated that. I will say the 24 hours before, usually I was wildly involved with my trade calls. That was a big part of who I was. I felt it was mm -hmm. my obligation and duty to do it. I never uh, respectfully pawned off to anyone else in the building. I didn't want to, even when, when Scott was with us, you know, as an assistant general manager, Pioli, I, 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 I didn't, again, no disrespect. I wanted to do it. I thought it was my, my job to do it. I knew where we were going with our organization more than anyone as per building the team. So I was very busy during that time, uh, 24 hours before the last probably 48 hours before. And the day of the draft, as I was walking around the field, trying to get my exercise and clear in my mind, I would be calling people, checking up, anything new, you know, where are we? Are we still thinking about this? If this happens, again, back to scenarios when it comes to trade discussions, that was a very heavy time for me. And trade discussions right now might be hypothetical. You're calling, for instance, well, if, if, you're, at, if you're at Denver, if you're at nine, you're saying, okay, can I talk to Detroit about if this, then that? 
I'm so calling up and yeah, I'm calling up and down the line and, and, and I make it very clear to everyone, like don't, don't think because I'm calling you like we have this, I want to agree on something loosely enough to say, mm-hmm. okay, if you guys are interested and you're interested in trading with us, here are general ideas of what I'm thinking the compensation can be. People would get back to me and say, yeah, T, that's a little rich for me, or I, I'm, I'm good with that right around that area. Or some would say, absolutely no way on that situation. It would have to cost you this much. At that point, you start, you know, sort of, uh, sort of uh, casting that idea aside. If, it, if an organization comes back and they're vehemently opposed to ideas that, you know, in the ballpark of where I was, then I just realized, okay, going in when I'm talking to Arthur Blank at the time during all those years, I just say, you know, A, B, and C, and X, Y, and Z are interested in trading, are not interested in trading for with us. Now that may change, Tom. Of course, as as mm-hmm. the ball starts rolling. All right. Well, do you still find the draft? Obviously, it's, this is going to be your first idle draft night. In a, wow, I just thought of that, man. I would say almost uh, almost in thirty years. I mean, I've been involved with it for a lot. So I'm doing, you know, I'm doing some some media on it. Just uh, you know, getting my feet wet with that. I I'm uh, glad I'm on on with you. I mean, I always enjoy talking with you. We have a great time talking about everything up and down, not only football but golf or whatever yes. else it is. But I, yeah, I know this is going to be a different time for me and um, I'm, I'm enjoying it, looking at it from a bigger picture. Usually as a general manager, you're quite myopic. You're focused on your world. Yeah, you're getting your, your pieces of information on other teams, on team needs, but man, you are so dialed in. It's kind of nice to step back and look at everyone and how they're functioning during all this time. It's a good learning experience as well. No better time to do it when you have two years left on a contract, right? To, be relaxed about approaching uh, how the draft is playing out. All right. Well, there's a lot of good information inside that brain. Um, and we appreciate you sharing so much of it. And we'd love to have you on again, maybe you, after Tom. this all settles in and, and uh, talk about what happened. Let's do that. That'd be great. I appreciate all right. it. All right. We are within one week of the NFL draft. I hope you got smarter with Thomas over the last uh, 22 minutes or so. And you're going to continue to get smarter, hopefully, as we continue to share information. Stick with us. Phil Perry's Next Pats podcast and our coverage next week is going to bang it out early edition. Boston Sports Tonight. We will have a draft special on the night of the draft with a Patriots focus from 8 to 10 leading into BST. Talk to you then.